Welcome to the last part of a three-part series of special episodes here on the Bridgeway Podcast. We will be wrapping up a conversation I've been having with lead pastor Sam Storms on the topic of prophecy. As we've said, this is all leading up to a conference that we are hosting here in Oklahoma City at Bridgeway Church called Convergence Equip, which is focused this year on building a prophetic ministry in the local church. Last October, we hosted the first ever Convergence Conference where we had guests from all around the world come together to learn how to practice both word and spirit. And then in the year in between the bigger Convergence Conference, we host what we call Convergence Equip, where we focus on a smaller area of ministry and try to equip the church to live it out. This year's Convergence Conference will be held July 26th to 28th here in Oklahoma City. To find out more, visit convergenceconference.org. Let's jump in. Well, I'm excited to be wrapping up our uh, third of three conversations uh, with Pastor Sam Storms here on uh, the prophetic leading up to the Convergence Equip Conference. Uh, We started off with our first session on what is biblical prophecy. We uh, then moved into how do we practice the prophetic? Why should we as Christians care about that? Um, How can we pursue and eagerly desire the gift of prophecy? And now today... We end with, uh, just on a really high note here, with, <laughs> with uh, the pitfalls of prophecy. So yeah. beware and all that stuff. Uh, they probably won't be all gloom and doom, though, I'm sure. No, and, <laughs> and, and just let's just a quick reminder here. Every area of Christian ministry, has, they have perils and pitfalls. That is absolutely There right. are perils and pitfalls in preaching, oh, in yeah. evangelism, and in counseling, and uh, in every arena of church life, there are things that we need to be cautious about and things we need to very clearly avoid. So we're not, we don't want people to think that we're singling out prophecy as if it's this um, hugely dangerous thing that you know is in a class all by itself. It's not right. in a class all by itself. Mm, that's really helpful. I think that's a really good preamble to everything we're about to say. Yes, yeah, there's perils and pitfalls everywhere. So what are they here? And not that yeah. that's a special case or anything, but we just need to talk about it. Yep. Okay. So what are, let's just start, what are some warnings then that uh, you would give to those who are practicing or who want to practice the sure. prophetic? Well, again, a lot of these just come from experience sure. because uh, we, we we certainly need to abide by the instructions and the guidelines Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 14. But in watching this play itself out in the lives of individuals, I've noticed some things. Mm. Uh, For example, um, people who are gifted prophetically and who hear regularly from the Lord um, experience intensified and elevated emotions. And Mm. what I, what in fact, what I say to people is, uh, prophetic revelation can be emotionally intoxicating. It's exciting to Mm. hear God's voice especially when it's confirmed in somebody's life that, wow, I really did get it right. It is, it's exhilarating. And the result is that if somebody challenges your attempt to give them a prophetic word, uh, they can get very defensive. Mm. It's like, wait a minute, who are you to question me? I hear directly from God. Wow, yeah. And so we need to guard against um, this idea that, well, my personal integrity is at stake uh, and so if, if you push back on me or if you don't immediately confirm the accuracy of what I've said, that somehow, um, you know, you've questioned uh, who I am and my value. Um, so we need to remember that there is 
and again, I want to be careful in using this word. I don't want to be misunderstood. There is a certain euphoria mm. that comes with prophetic ministry that causes those who are engaged in it to become sometimes a little too defensive of the accuracy of their words. Mm. I mean, there's a euphoria that comes with preaching. When I oh, preach yeah. and I'm into the text and God is helping me and, I, and, and, and I'm making a point, it is, it's exhilarating. And so if somebody would come up to me after the service and say, I disagree. I think that point you just made right there was really off base. It didn't help right. me. Uh, I, t- I really take offense at that. Well, I-, I could immediately get defensive. Sure. So we need to guard against that in prophetic ministry. Another uh, kind of warning that I would give is n- we we should avoid thinking that every random thought that inter- passes through our head is from God. Right, right. Um, I've had a couple of people I've had to deal with who were actually hearing from the Lord, mm. but what it did was it led them to conclude that every idea, thought, image that passed through their minds was a revelation from the Spirit. And that's dangerous because I just don't think that that happens on that kind of regular basis. Mm. And uh, and then when you call into question whether or not they really heard from the Lord and, and you say, you know, I, you need to be careful. Not everything that pops into your head is from the Spirit of God. They can get somewhat defensive and they can get, you know, they can take offense at that. And mm. so we, we we need to be careful with that. Um, I think another warning, and I've seen this happen, and it's really tragic, but sometimes people um, use the prophetic as a shortcut to Christian growth and maturity. Hmm. Here's what I mean by that. Um, They become so dependent upon hearing a prophetic word that they ignore the basic disciplines of Christian growth. Hmm. They stop reading their Bible. They stop praying. They stop they, 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 they're not involved in community. Uh, they don't employ the basic disciplines of, of Christian living because they're convinced that if they just get that big, powerful word from God, all their problems will be solved. They'll be catapulted forward into holiness of life, and their spouse will start you know, treating them well, and mm. their financial problems will go away. And, um, and so they think, if I can just get the prophet, whoever that might be, to give me a word that will change my life, uh, I don't need to bother with all these other things. These other things, they're boring. They're hard. Right. They're, they're a daily grind. And unfortunately, um, again, once again, the euphoria and the profoundly supernatural nature of the prophetic can sometimes lead people off the rails to to neglect the, the, just the basic disciplines of Christian living. Mm. Um, there's also another danger. Um, people who are, and this is for those who are prophetically gifted. Once you get a reputation for it, people will pressure you for words. Mm. Somebody will come to you broken in tears. They're desperate and said, I just need a word from the Lord. Can't you give me a word from the Lord? And sometimes prophetically gifted folk will yield to that pressure to oh, speak yeah. when in fact God has not spoken. Mm. And that's dangerous. Yeah, You know, what you just need to say is, you know, I'm so sorry for your difficulty, but I'm just not hearing anything from God right now, but I'd love to pray for you anyway. Yeah. Uh, so you just gotta have to, we have to be careful not to give words on demand. Right. Because God is not doing that, and we can't demand words from him, and so we need to avoid that kind of pressure. Yeah. Um, maybe the most dangerous thing that I find in prophetically gifted people 
is that they become identified with their gift. Mm. And what I mean by that is their identity is wrapped up in their spiritual gift. And so when their gift is acknowledged and appreciated, they feel affirmed. They feel valuable. Right. When, uh, when they hit the mark, they really feel important. Um, when they miss it, <laughs> it's just the opposite effect. Yeah. Um, and so it's really dangerous for, uh, for us to ever identify our, ourselves. I mean, I am a, I'm a, I'm a child of God. That's the basis. That's the, the foundation for my value as a human being and mm-hmm. my personal dignity, not the fact that I'm a preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an especially, uh, it's a huge temptation for people who are prophetically gifted yeah. is that they allow their identity, their sense of worth to be wrapped up in the effectiveness and the accuracy of their gift. And they really need uh, to avoid that. Um, another danger, and this one um, I would speak more to uh, the church as a whole mm. and specifically to leadership. And I, in fact, walked through this in a very, very painful way once before. Uh, I saw it happen. Sometimes um, when people are highly gifted prophetically, um, there is a tendency to create a different standard of Christian conduct for them hmm. from the one that you hold other believers to. So, for example, I was in a situation once where there was an incredibly gifted individual um, who, who, who would basically say to us, you know, I, I'm really uncomfortable coming to church on Sunday because I'm seeing so many things and I'm, the burdens of people are weighing in on my heart. And so... This individual stopped coming to corporate worship, was not submitted to the teaching of God's word. Mm. And there's this awe in which we hold prophetically gifted people. Like, yeah. The man of God, the woman of God, the anointed, and and we can't expect them to abide by the, you know, the the, the more mundane fundamental rules of Christian living that we abide by. And mm. so we create this double standard. And that is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Because what it does is it creates this impression that prophetically gifted folk uh, who have these profound supernatural encounters with the Lord are not accountable to the basic teachings of Scripture. They, they can get by with things that other folk can't. And unfortunately, there are occasions when that leads to licentious living. Mm. Um, uh, and I, I'm even thinking now of a this fellow is now uh, dead. I hope he's with the Lord. <laughs> I don't know, but he was a very prominent pastor in um, a city in the southeastern part of the country who had persuaded uh, a female on his staff that he was uh, an exception to the rule of sexual fidelity to your spouse Oh wow! and coerced her into an adulterous relationship because he was anointed of God, and this was a way of uh, affirming him and encouraging him, all sorts of silly, stupid rationales. Mm. But when you create a double standard for somebody based on the uniqueness of their spiritual gift, it's really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, another danger, uh, sometimes those who are prophetically gifted think that they don't need to submit to the leadership of the church. Sure. Yeah. Um, in fact, they think the leadership need to submit to them. Mm. And th- this is a, something that, again, is a recipe for disaster. The Bible doesn't tell us 
submit to the prophets. It says submit to the elders. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't mean elders and pastors shouldn't listen to the prophets. They should. Um, but you don't give somebody governmental authority in the church simply because they have the spiritual gift of prophecy. Mm. That, that's just, the, the, you know, I, you read the qualifications for elder in First right. Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Prophet's not in there. Being prophetic <laughs> isn't in there. Being <laughs> yeah. able to teach is. Right. Being able to defend the doctrines against heresy is. But uh, prophetic is not uh, one of the qualifications for church leadership. Um, here's another tendency that, that, that we need a, a potential pitfall. Sometimes uh, people will employ prophetic gifting to make declarations of right or wrong on secondary issues. Hmm. Uh, so, for example, um, uh, you're, you know, whether or not you should go to a particular movie. Uh, well, God told me that, that that's really bad for you and you shouldn't do it. Or, oh, yeah. or um, whether or not you should drink in moderation. Now, granted, we don't need a prophetic word to tell us not to get drunk. That right. The Bible says that. Yeah. But, you know, what, areas of Christian freedom, Christian mm-hmm. liberty, secondary issues, we need to guard against the idea that God's going to speak to me to speak to you on how you should live your oh, life yeah. in, re- in regard to those matters. That is... That's legalism, mm. and um, and sometimes the prophetic can can fe- can feed into that and fuel it in a way that's very unhealthy. Mm, that's helpful. Um, gosh, some of the other things. Oh, well, I don't think this happens a lot, but the danger needs to be described. Sometimes I hope and I hope and pray it's rare. Those who hear from God directly in prophetic revelation sometimes might be inclined to neglect hearing from God in Scripture. Hmm, yeah. um, the people that I have known and been around, uh, although they've been accused of it, they're not guilty of elevating the prophetic above the written word. Hmm. It might strike somebody on the outside that they do, but rarely does that happen. But it's still a, a peril, a pitfall we need to be aware of, and that is all prophetic revelation has to be subjected to the test of Scripture. Hmm. And uh, if, any, if there's any tendency to neglect hearing God in the written word because I hear from him immediately through the Spirit, that is a very dangerous thing that we need to avoid. Um, gosh, some other things. There are certain kinds of, of prophecy that I think we need to be careful about. Hmm. Predictive prophecy, for example. Sure. Can God give us insight into things that are going to happen in the future? You know, you read about Agabus in Acts chapter 11. Mm-hmm. He prophesied a famine that engulfed the, the whole land. And in fact, it came to pass just as he said. Uh, predictive prophecy sometimes, you know, if somebody comes and says, hey, I just had a, a powerful dream from the Lord. And I think it's a prophetic revelation that there's going to be a powerful earthquake somewhere in California within the next six months. <laughs> Well, duh. duh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, or you know, somebody. This happens every presidential election. I heard from the Lord that candidate A is going to win. Well, guess what? You got a fifty percent shot at, at hitting that right. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think that makes you a prophet. So yeah. uh, those we have to be we have to be guarded there. And then uh, what I call directive prophecy. Mm. Well, God told me you're supposed to quit your job and take oh, that I see. one. Yeah. You know, God said, that person's the one you're going to marry. Mm. Well, well, folks, listen, something as important as marriage, if God wants you to marry a certain individual, he's going to tell you and that other person. Mm. You don't need to hear from a prophetic voice to know that. 
Um, so, you know, we kind of warn, don't predict um, dates, mates, babies, job changes. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do get a real strong impression about something in that regard, you can say, hey, I just had a strong sense with regard to this decision you're about to make. And I just want to tell you, I'm going to be praying for you. And, right. And I'll even pray with you about it. But be careful in giving direction in that regard. And then, of course, corrective prophecy. I do believe that there can be correction given to a person through a prophetic word, but boy, we need to be careful mm. there. Um, delivering a neg- what we might call a negative or critical word, uh, never do it publicly, for mm. one thing. Uh, don't publicly criticize leadership. Paul gives instruction on how to approach an elder who might be in sin in 1 Timothy 5. Um, but when it comes to, to, to negative or corrective words, I think sometimes it's it's better, first of all, to do it privately, and then secondly, turn it into the form of a question. Mm. You know, let's say you're, um, you know, you're praying for somebody, and and um, the Lord lays on your heart that at work they are being tempted to, you know, kind of move into an emotional affair with somebody not their spouse. Mm. Well, you don't stand up and rebuke them for that, right? Um, you know, you can approach them and say, hey, I I was just praying for you the other day and um, just kind of the Lord impressed upon me, your job and your work situation. Tell me about it. What's going on there? Are you, do you find yourself facing any unusual temptations there that maybe I can pray for you about? And you explore that in a way that they don't feel threatened. They don't get defensive. Um, you're still being true to what you think God may have revealed, but you don't hammer them with it in a way that it becomes crushing. Yeah, and again, a lot of it is um, just being pastorally sensitive. Yeah. And, um, you know, kind of putting yourself in the place of that person, say, if this were me, how would I want to hear this? Sure. How would I respond most um, in, a, in the most godly manner possible, uh, depending on how it was presented to me? Um, I, need, I think another problem, another potential pitfall is the allure of elitism. Mm. Um, because prophetically gifted people kind of tend to congregate together. Okay. And because they're hearing directly from the Lord, there is always the temptation. Now, this can come another. I mean, I have to, I have to deal with this when I preach. Mm. When, I, when I preach and people, you know, send an encouraging email or say, oh, that message changed my life, I got to watch my own heart. I don't want to get puffed up by that. But prophetic people can sometimes draw the conclusion that they are special, mm. that they're uniquely favored by God, uniquely loved by God because God speaks to me directly. And that allure, that that temptation is can be really powerful and yeah. and people have to be really cautious and careful. And can it go kind of the other way too? At least I've experienced this sometimes when I see people even here at Bridgeway that I'm like, man, they just operate in the prophetic so well um, where I almost put them in an elitist position and put sure. myself in a subcategory. You know what, what would what would you say to someone who is more in that 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 side of the equation? Well, yeah, uh, 
this gets back a circle back around to my comments about creating a double standard. Mm-hmm. If you see somebody who is really gifted uh, powerfully in that way, and maybe they really are, it creates a sense of awe in yeah. your heart, and you put them on a pedestal, mm-hmm. and you think, you know, I, I, who am I to to maybe speak a word of correction to them, or issue them a word of caution, or and it it just puts them in a different category. And the result is they don't get to experience the benefits of community life where everybody is speaking into everybody's life for their building up. Right. So it's a real danger. Yeah. Um, here's another uh, interesting phenomenon when it comes to the prophetic. Sometimes people fall into the trap of thinking that hearing from God, having some profound supernatural encounter, whether a dream or a vision or whatever, or a word of knowledge is going to solve their struggle with sin hmm. as if somehow that is the primary way by which we're sanctified. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it's not. Yeah. And, and I give you the classic example of this okay. is from the apostle Paul himself. Hmm. So I think everybody knows second Corinthians 12, Paul has this incredible encounter. He's translated into the third heaven, mm-hmm. In fact, it's so overwhelming. He says, I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. God knows, and that's good enough for me. But he said, I saw and heard things that it's not permitted for man to repeat. I don't know, aside from what John experienced to write the book of Revelation, I don't know of of any, maybe Isaiah's would, chapter 6 of Isaiah would, uh, would, would compare, but this may well be the most profound supernatural experience that any human being's ever had. Um, and I, I've often read that and I said, wow, I'll bet when Paul finally came back into the normal routine of daily life that he would never sin again. <laughs> I mean, after all, given what he saw and heard, I mean, if I, Lord, if you'd take me into the third heaven and show me that kind of prophetic revelation, I promise you, I would never sin again. I would be so changed. By right. It. And yet when you read the text, what happens? Hmm immediately upon, uh, in the aftermath of this experience, what does Paul say? Pride. (laughs) Pride. And it's just stunning. It says, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh to keep me from exalting myself because of these revelations. And I think, are you kidding me? (laughs) Paul, shouldn't you have just been so transformed by what you saw and heard and and so humbled by it that God would 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 lay his hand on you for this experience th- that you would you wouldn't find the the consent of your soul to ever commit another sin and Paul said not just the opposite wow <laughs> the moment i kind of as it were if i can use the word reentered real life right on the earth i i began to think you're really something, Paul. Mm. You're special. God really must like you above <laughs> the others. Look what he did. For you. He didn't do this for Peter. He didn't do this for Matthew. He did it for you, Paul. Yeah, that that helps me see something a little clearer that I kind of want you to address um, because I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so you have these prophets, these people who are actually hearing the voice of God. You know, you ta- you've talked about them operating in the prophetic and and having all these intimate experiences with the voice of God. Um, I could I can sympathize with a listener who might be thinking, well, like especially in the situation you described with the pastor who convinced his coworker to yeah. commit an affair with him. I'm like, how can you reconcile 
someone who has been so anointed with actual prophetic words from God in such an intimate way with such reckless living or so much sin, mm-hmm. uh, so so many potential and actual pitfalls. Uh, I see. I see. A, 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 I'm starting to unravel that a bit now with Paul here in mm-hmm. in Second Corinthians 12. That's or First Corinthians 12. That's sure. helpful because uh, I'm seeing like, oh, okay, he had a genuine experience with um, a prophetic revelation of God, and then immediately that causes sin to rise up in his heart that God had to chasten. But how would you answer those who might be thinking like, all right, I, I don't know if these puffed up people who are in these different churches that you're describing, who apparently are hearing from God, I don't know if they, they can actually hear from God and be so sinful. How do you reconcile those two? Well, yeah, that's a good question. Let's not forget that uh, the Corinthian church itself well, Paul said, you come behind no one else when it comes to the presence and the power of the Spirit and right. gifts. And yet they were profoundly immature, yeah. self-promoting, um, neglecting the needs of others, um, self-serving. Um, you know, about that particular pastor, I I don't know all that much about his ministry, but I, I'm not convinced that he was all that <laughs> prophetic or all that powerful. I, he, mm. he was very charismatic in his in his leadership and had a, you know, a national television ministry, but I'm, I'm not all convinced at all convinced that his preaching was all that great or all that biblical, but let's, let's just, re, let, let's try to answer this by moving out of the area of the prophetic. Let's talk about any area. Mm. Um, tragically, we almost on a weekly basis, we're going to read, we read about some other incredibly gifted pastor uh, or leader who has, fallen morally or who has, you know, become such a a bully Mm. in relationship to his staff and his church that uh, his, his leadership has become so dysfunctional. They had to be removed from ministry. I have, I have a couple of guys that I know that that's happened to within recent years. And we could say the same thing. How can somebody, and these were guys who really knew the scriptures. How can somebody who's so immersed in the truth of God's word and so gifted to proclaim it, um, find themselves swept up and yielding to this kind of temptation. And um, I, I, think that's a, I think that's a peril and pitfall of just being a Christian, mm. whether you're prophetically gifted or not, yeah. in whatever gift you might have. Um, you know, and, and even the opposite works. What, you, we, we deal with people who say, gosh, I, I don't think I'm gifted in anything. Mm. I, I, I don't do anything well. I'm just a nobody. And out of self-pity, they justify their sin. Yeah. Um, it's not just out of self-aggrandizement. It's mm. out of self-pity. It's, it's, it's the victim mentality that justifies their yielding to fleshly temptations um, as much as it is uh, maybe their competency in a gift. The simple fact is spiritual gifts are never set forth in Scripture as a way for us to primarily be sanctified. Yeah. Um, we are sanctified by the Word. We're sanctified by uh, the disciplines of prayer and accountability and, um, you know, just so many, you know, worship, uh, submitting ourselves to the, to the truth of what is in Scripture, uh, following the leadership of the local church, uh, encouraging one another. But I don't see anywhere in Scripture that any particular spiritual gift somehow, you know, the, the gateway into holiness of life. Mm. I would hope that it would, and maybe in some cases it does. But, you know, Paul's example is certainly 
uh, is certainly one to, to, it's a sobering reality. And even, even think of Peter, when Paul had to confront him in, Gal- yeah. in the book of Galatians. I mean, here was, um, you know, the kind of the, the leader of the apostolic community, you know, the, the center of early church activity in the book of Acts, uh, whom, you know, think about, um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm trying to think. This is a, I just, this is an interesting question. I'm getting derailed here. <laughs> Acts chapter 10, Peter has this incredible vision mm-hmm. uh, in which God, you know, tells him that these things that you thought were unclean are clean and right. you shouldn't judge Gentiles because you regard them as somehow excluded from the purposes of God. I'm wondering if, if Peter's experience in Galatia came before that or after that. Mm. But in either instance, here is an apostle who has to have this incredible revelation made because of the temptation in his heart uh, to regard Gentiles as unclean and unworthy of the gospel. Wow, yeah. So that's a long way around to trying to answer a very difficult question. Yeah, but yeah, I think it was worth the trip. I, I think it is a really important question. It's what was, ra- it was like this dissonance I kind of felt here in my heart, just listening to all these perils and pitfalls. I was like, man, this seems difficult to reconcile. But I think it's helpful also to think about um, spiritual gifts or spiritual graces. You know, like we don't get gifts because we merit them. And so it would make sense that we have demerits alongside these gifts of grace. Is right. that a, is that a decent way to think about it as well? Sure, absolutely. And again, I you know, I'm obviously a little cautious as I know you are uh in talking about this because we don't want to send the wrong impression. We don't want people hearing these perils and pitfalls to become afraid. That's right. Here's here's an interesting thing. Nowhere in the New Testament are we told to be afraid of spiritual gifts. Mhm. Um, nowhere are we told that if you uh, hunger for the gift of tongues that you're going to get a demon right? or that you're going to open yourself up to some uh, adverse influence. Um, we, the only exhortations we see are earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially you may prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Mm-hmm. We don't find, hey, caution, red light, this is going to trip you up in life. This is going to expose you to unusual temptations. Now, it, it might. Mm-hmm. I mean, those who are in positions of influence and leadership because of their gifting maybe are um, easy targets for the enemy. Sure. And uh, in the world of flesh and the devil goes after them as much as anybody else. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, I mean, I'm just thinking, for example, of uh, the way Paul encouraged Timothy. Mm. Um, I think of 1 Timothy uh, 1.18, where Paul tells him, to fight a good fight, to wage a good war in godliness, to hold a good conscience. And then he says, by means of the prophecies that were spoken over you. Like, wow. So here's Paul telling Timothy, a, a tool, an instrument by which you can find encouragement and strength to resist temptation and to press through in ministry is by reflecting on the prophetic words that you received in the past. Um, you know, think for example, here's an old Testament illustration. What was Joseph thinking when he was thrown into prison? <laughs> I mean, here's this guy who is thrown into prison for obedience, for godliness. Right. He's spending, I don't know how many years there. Right. And what, what sustained him? What, what encouraged him to persevere? Could it have been him reflecting back on the dream that God gave him? Mm. Uh, that, that of his brothers, of bowing, his brothers down. bowing down mm. before him and the fact that he was going to be exalted uh, wow. in the purposes of God. And David's sitting there in that prison cell saying, 
wow, this is not good. <laughs> this is what I this is what I bargained for. But wait a minute. God spoke to me. Mm. So that's how prophetic words of encouragement can serve to to uphold and sustain uh, the human heart in the midst of, of, of difficult times. And then again, in 2 Timothy 1, you know, uh, Timothy was facing all sorts of uh, opposition. You know, Paul said, don't let them despise you for your youth and so on. And he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, 6, fan into flame the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. I suspect that Timothy had, uh, maybe he was intimidated. Maybe mm. he was insecure. Maybe he was feeling threatened by uh, powerful people in the church at Ephesus, whatever reason. But Paul says, look, you need to strengthen yourself. You need to, to uh, encourage your own soul by means of this gift that God has given to you. So again, it, it seems to me that Paul obviously believed that in this particular case, prophetic ministry was very powerful in launching Timothy into ministry. In fact, he says, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast back in First uh, Timothy 4.14, he talks about a spiritual gift that had been imparted to him through a prophetic word. Mm, That's yeah. an interesting idea. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, and he's, he's supposed to draw upon that. He's not supposed to despise it. So... Yes, there are perils, <laughs> there, yeah. just as there are in every area of Christian ministry. But the benefits and the blessings that come from um, nurturing and protecting and instructing and facilitating prophetic ministry are far and away um, better than whatever pitfalls or challenges we may, we may encounter uh, you know, along the way. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think one final note that we'll want to make here as we uh, wrap up this three-part series uh, is um, one of the ways that, that at least the Bible most regularly tells us um, to guard against anything that might go wrong with prophecy is simple. It's test, right? Sure. Test Absolutely. the prophecy. So what does that mean? How do we go about testing a word of prophecy? Yeah. And by the way, this is, this is a word for all Christians, not just prophetically gifted people. Great. Because 1 Corinthians 14, 29, I believe it is, Paul says, let two or three prophesy, let the others, and I think he means everybody else in the congregation, mm. judge what is said. That's uh, good. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 to 22, uh, do not uh, despise prophetic utterances, do not quench the spirit, but test all things. Um, so I think what he's saying is to every Christian, and I mean, even some believers listening to us on this podcast are thinking, oh, are you kidding? I, who am I? that mm. I would examine or or test or weigh what a prophet is saying. Well, remember, the Bereans were just average folk. As far as I know, there's nobody from the church at Berea that's ever named in the New Testament. <laughs> right. We don't have any idea who they were. And yet, Paul says they were more noble than others because they tested what I said. Mm. They examined it to make sure it was consistent with what God had revealed in the Old Testament. So I think there's several ways. First is the test of Scripture. Yep. Uh, and by the way, here, here I want to say something because this is a pet peeve of mine. If there is one reason why prophetic ministry goes haywire in some churches is because people are ignorant of the Bible. Yeah. They're illiterate. Hmm. If we had, we don't, sometimes I want to say as much as we need prophetic ministry, we need biblically informed people who are capable of testing prophetic ministry. Mm -hmm. um, so somebody says something that is just profoundly unbiblical, it's inconsistent with the character of God, it violates a command somewhere else in the Bible, 
our little red flags ought to go up in mm-hmm. our minds. So we test it by means of the Word of God. We test it also by uh, by virtue of what Paul says in chapter 14, verse, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians. He says, prophecy is for edification, encouragement, and consolation. So we ask, is this Word doing that? Mm. Is it is it encouraging or discouraging people? Yeah. Is it building them up or tearing them down? Is it consoling them or is it throwing them into to despair? So you have to test some words by the fruit that they bear in people's lives. Then I think obviously there's a test of love, First Corinthians thirteen. Right. If I prophesy and I do not have love, it's useless. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's our motivation in giving a word? Is it to draw attention of people to ourselves so they'll say, "Wow, big man." anointed of God, you're neat, <laughs> you're special, or is it, um, I want to be a blessing to others. I want to serve them and uh, help encourage them in their Christian experience. And then there's the test of community. Sometimes you just need to gather wise, mature individuals and hear multiple voices. All right, let's, what do you all think about this? We heard this word. It, it didn't necessarily set well with everybody. Uh, what is your opinion? And you can mm. pray through that in terms of community. Now, obviously, when it, if it's a predictive prophecy, there's an easy test. Does it does, come to pass? Does it happen? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, does it happen? So I think that's the way in which we do it. And again, this is a responsibility of every Christian. This mm. isn't this isn't just for the elders or the pastors or you know the the especially gifted people. All believers have the responsibility to test, to weigh. The, the, in fact, the word Paul uses in when he uses the word judge in First Corinthians 14, is to sift mm-hmm. and to sift and to, to, to sift out those things that we sense may be uh, purely the product of human speculation as over against the things that are clearly from God himself. That's extremely helpful. That's extremely helpful. Well, um, I'll let you end this three-part session with uh, a quick note on uh, why are we doing Convergence Conference uh, here at Bridgeway, both the Equip and the larger conference? Sure. What's it about? Um, why would you plead with someone to be a part of it? Well, as far as the Equip Conference, which is at the end of July uh, this year, um, is because people are constantly asking us, okay, I believe in the prophetic. Uh, you convinced me the Word of God teaches this. But our church is just... We're, we're ignorant of what to do. Mm. We're, we're really inexperienced in this. Can you give us some practical guidelines on on just these things we talked about in this podcast about what are some things we need to be avoiding? What, what are right. some red flags that we need to be alerted to? Because we, we're afraid that if we go down this path, we're going to spin out of control and mm. the church is going to implode, which unfortunately sometimes has happened. Um, and so we want to provide practical instruction mm-hmm. on what is the prophetic, what it isn't, how, how to facilitate it, how to train people in it, how to in, you know learn what the guidelines of the New Testament are. So that's why we're doing this one particular seminar. But overall convergence, um, the tagline is the passionate pursuit of word and spirit. We're trying to overcome the breach. Yeah. We're trying to overcome the great chasm that exists so much in evangelicalism between word-oriented churches and spirit-oriented churches. And it's so easy for human nature to gravitate to one of those two extremes. Right. It is hard to maintain the the marriage, the convergence of the two, because human nature just tends to opt to one or the other. You know, the cerebrally driven, theologically precise folk, uh, they're going to gravitate 
toward the word. Mm-hmm. And, what, and there's nothing we want to we want to be in the word. <laughs> yes, but unfortunately, they do it in a way that they suppress the spirit. Mm-hmm. And in the more spirit free moving, open minded folk, unfortunately, sometimes it's anything goes, and it's not tethered to the scriptures. Mm-hmm. So we want to instruct and model and encourage people in how to maintain what we think the Bible says is an unbreakable marriage between the two. I love that. Well, we do invite uh, every, everyone listening to uh, learn more about Convergence Conference um, at convergenceconference.org. We would love to uh, see you next year at the big event. We'd love to see you as spots go quickly at the Convergence Equip at the end of July. And uh, thank you so much, Sam, for uh, indulging us on this three-part series on prophecy. It was extremely edifying to me and a lot of fun. Uh, I hope it is for our listeners as, as well. I trust that it will be. So I enjoyed it. Great. Well, we'll, we'll look forward to having you again on soon. And uh, as for our listeners, thank you for joining us in this three-part series. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.